So Jim Crow became federalized through Woodrow Wilson's actions. Yeah. But he's the guy, he's the guy who is like, he showed that like super racist movie with like the KKK being the saviors of America and Patriots and all that shit. He showed that at the white house. I mean, this was a racist. So maybe just start with a broad definition of what, what, what are people talking about? I mean, this sounds super naive probably, but for you, like what, 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 what does that mean to you when, when people talk about a neighborhood being gentrified? What it looks like, what it boils down to is, especially in the Skyline area, more often than not, the community that left, that left the city in the 60s, in, in the 50s and 60s, and left and went to the suburbs and took their businesses to the suburbs and, the, and took jobs they took they took their money, their businesses, their their stuff of life to the suburbs. Now their grandchildren are coming back with that stuff. Is this why a lot of times it has a a racial undertones to it? Because you have, I think sometimes it's even called white flight. So you have a lot of immigration to the cities, also to northern cities from the south by black people. And then, you know, you have a lot of people who leave. And it's not only that white people left, it was also that black people were denied access to those suburbs often. So you have, so so then it creates a situation and people can look this up. There were I mean, I recently heard about some sort of covenants, I think in the in the 60s and 70s, where basically in order to purchase a house, you had to sign a covenant that would basically say that you were not going to sell to people of color. That's right. Um, Amazing. So it, I mean, just dumbfounding, to be honest. Yeah. And that's, and that's started, unfortunately, that started with the federal government. When the federal government started underwriting home loans in the late 30s, early 40s, because people, very few people could afford to buy a house for their family. They specifically, um, the office, the, the federal, the, the, the housing office that actually did this, actually was based here in Chicago, developed a, developed regulations on, on the kind of house and the kind of neighborhood, and what kind of neighborhoods they were going to subsidize and underwrite. The, the communities could not be, could not be black, Hispanic, or majority black, majority Hispanic, or mixed, or majority mixed. They, these, these communities had to be majority white owned communities of good standing, which meant, usually meant middle class, and there were a lot, more, a lot of other details. So was this yeah. built into the actual legislation or laws to kind of instigate that? Yes, it was built. It was built into the act. Was built into the actual lending structure. Um, it was built into the lending structure, and so the yeah the federal the, the federal department that which today is now. 
you know, Freddie Mac, um, Freddie Mac, um, those, those, those groups that insure mortgages for banks, they, in doing this, actually on their maps, wrote a red line around majority black, Hispanic neighborhoods and said, we're not underwriting loans in these neighborhoods. So is that where redlining comes from? Yes. Because I have heard this term used. Actually, that's why one of the things I thought would be interesting to talk about because I literally, I did not know what redlining meant. I knew that redlining had to do with some discriminatory practices. So that's really where it comes from, actually saying, we're going to draw a red line in these neighborhoods and we're not underwriting those loans. Exactly, exactly. And, and the, yeah, exactly. The, the Homeowners Loan Corporation actually, actually did that. Um, and they did that in every, and they did that starting in Chicago. Every single community in the United States. So, and because they would not underwrite those loans in those neighborhoods that had red lines around them, only communities that they would rent that that they would that they would underwrite those loans were deemed were deemed like you said upstanding or yeah worth underwriting exactly. exactly so do you know why do you know how they justified that these practices i mean it was it was it was the assumptions of the day the assumption back then was that minority inner city neighborhoods were decaying and dying and falling apart um that, um and that tenement house Full of tenement housing, and that the suburbs were, and that the sub, that the suburbs were a bet overall better. Moving people to the affluent suburbs was was better. That the city was dying, that cities were dying, and that we needed to hasten along that death. So, but interestingly enough, by condemning those cities, and mainly, primarily, let's say, uh, minority communities you're actually undercutting those communities to better themselves or to improve their economic situation because you're saying, oh, this is already dying, so we're going to draw a red line around it and say, okay, that's just, we're going to let it be. And so even if you might, even if you have the wealth, let's say you're a business owner in the inner city, you actually want to move out to the suburbs and engage in some of that economic development that's going on, you would be barred. Well, not necessarily barred from it because it's not as explicitly racist as maybe some of the Jim Crow laws were or other things, right? This is kind of saying, well, these communities, we're not going to underwrite. And it's the same effect is is basically saying, okay, we're not going to underwrite it. Ergo, these people are not going to receive loans and not going to be able to participate in that economy. There probably are as you know, the saying goes, the exception proves the rule. I'm sure there's, you know, one guy who made it because he just had the money so he could just outright buy a house or something. But this would be, I mean, even today, you're talking about a very small percentage of the population who could just outright buy a house. So that would be like the, the person who really threw their own 
opulence or wealth were able to out- overcome that. Well, exactly, and that, and and so you, and so you, yeah, it gets even worse because by underwriting those loans, you've infl- you've, you've inflated the value. Wherever you, wherever you, wherever you you underwrite a government underwrites a loan or guarantees a loan un, guarantees a loan, those values go up quicker. Which means equity is built equity for is those built people. For those people, their schools get funded at that because 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 local property taxes pay for schools. Interesting. Yeah. Those, those schools get those those schools get more funding. Because the government did not underwrite these 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 properties here, their value actually decreases over time in relation to the other. So you first move the money. So really, you really if they started like this, they're doing this. So they started like equal. I'm just saying this for people who are listening. So they started like equal. And then just by arbitrarily underwriting loans, you inflate the property values of some and decrease the others. And then you have this asymmetrical relationship to property values, which means better schools, better access to good education, better opportunities to get higher education and engage in uh, the modern economy. Exactly. Exactly. And so because home, because home equity is the, Main source of wealth for Americans, especially the middle class. Um, it, it's what, it's what creates a middle class, um, in the U.S. And then, so when, when did this redlining, do you happen to know until when this was practiced? Redlining, redlining in and of itself was practiced from the 1930s on through 1968, which still means you have 38 years of inequitable distribution of wealth. But what's interesting about it, when people think, some people think in terms of uh, what is it called? You know, this. I basically, some people think in the terms of, you know, if you work hard. You try to own your own house, or you're, you know, that that you're going to somehow be able to build equity and prosper, and have equal equal access to education. But this was actually a governmental policy that that changed those relationships for a lot of people. So even if you're like a person who lives in that red circle. You might be working just as hard, but due to forces outside yourself, you're not your property value might sink, which means your equity is is lowered as well as your your kids' education education is going to suffer. Yeah, and actually, and actually, I was wrong. It was it was um, the policy was cha- was um, the policy was really changed in seventy three. There was, there, was, uh, there was a bit of fighting. Seventy three, seventy four is when the policy actually changed. So we went into the seventies, um, and yeah, it it affects it affects the ability it affects the ability to actually buy in the first place because if if the government it doesn't back the mortgage, you have to pay more up front. So you have to pay more 
for the property up front. And then you have less you have less security on how and when the bank wants you to pay that loan back and what it can and when it can come in and take and take and take that property. So it starts there. Then you know then because that community is lowered in values, yeah. You're not funding you're not funding schools and roads and schools, roads, other infrastructure, hospitals, etc. That all that funding is lessened for those communities, as in, in as relation to other, to other communities and to communities that do have that federal backing. Then, then, then your ability to take equity out of that property is changed because again, who wants to give you a loan? For equity that for property that can't that isn't really has very little value exactly exactly and so you can there's there's less there's less opportunity to take out equity let alone less equity to take out to start a business to yeah, to start a business to renovate the property itself and thus enhance the value of the actual subject property itself. Um, and that's generational. A lot of property is generational wealth that is passed on. Exactly. Exactly. To, to summarize, would you say, on the one hand, you have redlining, which is we're not the government decides not to back loans in for certain communities, primarily minority communities. And then gentrification is the other side of that coin in the future where the wealth from the suburbs moves back into the cities, which consequently um, hurts some of those communities because you have wealth that drives up rents, drives up prices, and so poor communities suffer. Once you've created a, created a foundation that's rigged, building on that re- on that on that foundation just rigs it all the more. Now, do you see this to this day? Absolutely. Absolutely. Redlining is no longer a thing, but as most people know, your actions have consequences that carry on into the future. So as you redline certain communities, their pro- their equity drops, not of their own volition, but it just does due to these outside forces. That makes it harder for you to educate your kids properly and then your kids, due to lack of education as well as lack of equity in the home for parent for people to retire, even and give and pass that on to their children, you know, you're you're kind of automatically shooting your shooting them in the foot, and then so that carries on into the future. So so yeah, so it's kind of maybe maybe uh, just a kind of a, I mean, so so I don't know what I'm trying to say here. So so redlining is is gone, but its effects remain. And remember, redlining was a thing for 40 years. For a solid 40 years, redlining was a thing. That's a generation. That's long and en- that's long enough to to set the engine rolling. And this is du- and this is during a time when it was actually when 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 the actual racial dynamic was such that it was not necessarily okay, but it was allowable to be to openly say 
this is why we're doing this. And so it was openly it was openly stated that we just consider these minority communities less desirable for that reason for that for that reason alone. There were other things that they added in, but that as a, as a thing itself was stated. Now, do you think you could connect this to the Great Migration? That is essentially the black community moving from the south to the north. Mm-hmm. Yes, my 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 grand my grandfather's generation. My 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 grandfather. Um, so. For those who don't know it, my name is Namaya Felipe Mitchell III. Namaya Mitchell Sr. came from Mississippi to Chicago in the early 40s, World War II, to work in a factory here in Chicago. Was he driven or was did he? I was just, uh, yes, thank you for asking. Because I was just about to get there, yes. Um, more like he fled the South. And why? What was the what were the circumstances that caused him to flee? If you don't mind sharing, uh, no problem, no problem. Um, after after the resurgence of the KKK um, and the violence therein uh, in the South and Jim Crow laws. Um, now, did Jim Crow laws go on to the into the forties? Uh, Jim Crow isn't isn't struck down until legally isn't they don't you don't start to see them struck down until the fifties. Once you start with education in the fifties, um, desegregating education in the fifties, that's when you start to see those laws struck down. But the South effectively operated through the sixties with those laws in place. What so just to clarify, so Jim Crow was legislation that segregated people due to race and had different standards due to race. Is that fair? Is that a fair way to say it? That's a that is that's a fair way to that's a that's a that's a nice way to put it. Uh, yeah, I mean Jim Crow Jim Crow's were enforced from rec, from Reconstruction until 1965. Basically, the Supreme Court said separate with separate but e- the separate but equal doctrine was allowable in 1896, and all of the former Confederate states of America put laws into place limiting the ability, limiting the facilities that black people could use, schools, schools, housing, transportation. So. So we're talking buses, trains. It mandated it mandated segregation in public places. It mandated segregation in restrooms, restaurants, drinking fountains, um, in pools. Which means, like, it was illegal to go into the bathroom of the wrong race. The police department would would and did arrest people, put them on, put them on trial. And then sent them to jail, and and just and just to add the the, the, the next kicker, um, President Wilson Woodrow Wilson segregated all federal workplaces in 1913. So Jim Crow became federalized 
through Woodrow Wilson's his actions. Yeah. But he's the guy, he's the guy who is like, he showed that like super racist movie with like the KKK being the saviors of America and Patriots and all that shit. He showed that at the white house. I mean, this was a racist president. He was actually, he was actually a historian who, um, subscribed to the, to the lost cause theory for the, for the civil war. He was very, he was very racist and he, and he, he was one of the people who pushed that lost cause narrative hardest, even though Mississippi stated in their article, in their article to secede that they were doing it to preserve slavery. Explicitly. Yeah. When your family's from Mississippi, you know Mississippi. Um, and my, my dad's family's from Mississippi. The Civil War is one of my pet eras that I tend to look at the history of. And the, ta- the military tactics and really dive, 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 dive into. I know what, you know, every single state said slavery in there, in their, in their articles to succeed. There's no, there was no, there were no bones about it. They didn't make no bones about what they were trying to do. And I believe the articles of confession or a secession for Mississippi, they are the most explicit. They say we are succeeding because of the institution of slavery is under attack, essentially. And I think what I heard growing up, even in some conservative conservative schooling and some evangelical circles, is the idea of states' rights and the economic political threat posed by the North. What people need to know is states' rights meant states' rights to have slaves. And economics meant the economics of slavery was under attack. Yeah, these are states. These are states that specific that that depended upon. They depended upon institutional slavery for their labor base, and they did not want to pay. They didn't want to pay. They didn't even want to pay um, poor whites to do this work. And granted, it was backbreaking work.